I'm Pastor Michael. We are doing a sermon series through the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are a set of practices like reading scripture, prayer, that brings us into the presence of God. And they are, a, they are the training regimen by which we grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ, that's Ephesians 4, into his likeness. And therefore, it is the neglect of them that we feel that God is far from us, that we feel spiritually dry, and there's no power in our lives. And so today we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of the Sabbath. And as I've been preparing for this, um, You know, in many ways, I've been thinking about this. I've been wrestling with this all of my adult life. And I want you to know that this is a very hard sermon to preach because what I am about to say is so counterintuitive. It is so countercultural that I I cannot persuade you in a single sermon. I am convinced... This is going to take a sermon series, and perhaps sometime soon we will do that, but today I only have a single sermon. And so today is just going to be a down payment. You need to know that the Sabbath is one of the most important concepts in the Bible. It is mentioned over a hundred times in the Bible, both the Old and New Testament. It is one of the reoccurring sins of God's people, and it is one of the chief reasons for the exile. And particularly when you read the prophets, the prophets railed against Israel for this sin. So, for example, consider Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 13. Listen to this. But the house of Israel rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, and my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Or consider Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a high government official. He returns from Babylon back to Jerusalem, and he walks through the streets of Jerusalem on the Sabbath, and to his dismay, he discovers the marketplaces are bustling, there's buying and selling, and commerce is in full swing. And he is aghast. He is, he is weeping with sorrow. And this was the Jewish people. And they could not keep the Sabbath because there's something deep inside of us that rebels against this, that chafes against this. And we are still chafing. We live in a modern world that is just nonstop, that is in constant motion, We live in a culture of unceasing consumption and materialism and productivity. And that unrelenting pace has profound implications. It has profound costs. There has never been a culture like ours that is more emotionally exhausted, that is more psychologically overworked, that is more spiritually malnourished, In human history, never. There has never been a culture like ours. Let me propose a radical remedy. 
we need to rediscover the ancient Jewish and Christian practice of keeping Sabbath. And by keeping Sabbath, I mean a full 24-hour period of rest and worship. Rest and worship, because when you look at our word Sabbath, it comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And Shabbat literally means rest. Now, to rest is not only to stop working. It means that, of course, foundationally, but it means also restoration and spiritual wholeness. And so you can uh, break uh, the Sabbath, you can break the understanding of the Sabbath into two parts. And this is my outline. First, we have to stop working. And then secondly, we have to worship the Creator God. And so that's the outline. And so with that in mind, please turn uh, to your bulletins. We're going to read. And if you're online, uh, follow along on screen. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. This is the fourth commandment. It's the only one of the spiritual disciplines that is part of the Ten Commandments. We could talk about that later, why that is. But let me read the text for you. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word, this is the word of God. So point number one, Sabbath means stop. If you look at verse 13, let me read it for you again. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. So the first thing about the Sabbath is that we are to stop working. We are to stop working. That is a radical concept in the modern world. Do you know why? Because we can't stop. About two years ago, there was an article on BuzzFeed that went viral. I posted it on the newsletter. It was written by Ann Peterson, and it's called How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And in the article, Ann Peterson, she makes the case that the millennials... And I actually think this applies to everyone, right? It applies to uh, Gen Z, to Gen Xers. The millennial generation has internalized this idea that we should be working all the time. So you see this, for example, when you ask people how they are doing. And a typical answer is people say, I'm good, but I'm busy. Right? You hear this all the time. Everybody says this. I am so busy. I'm swamped. Even if you're not busy, you feel this pressure. Right? Like, like there's something wrong with you if all your hours are not accounted for. 
And she notes that it's, it's a kind of humble brag. It's a boast disguised as a complaint. I'm so busy is a way to say, look at how important I am. And she says this ethos of constantly working has transformed the way that we live. And it begins the moment we wake up. Studies show that 85% of us reach for our phones within minutes of waking up. This is the effect of technology. It allows work to follow us wherever we go. So that work then bleeds into every part of our lives, which means that there's no more work-life balance. There's no more, <laughs> there's no more work-life balance, but we're constantly working. It's just matters of degree. We're never off the clock. We're always available. And then she says, life becomes a constant game of optimization. How can we squeeze every minute of our lives so that we're never wasting time, so that we're constantly advancing? And so this is why people are constantly looking to adopt life hacks and download productivity apps so that it can buy us five, ten more minutes of time. And then what do we do with that time? We work some more. And then when work becomes the central thing, Ann Peterson says, then everything else revolves around it. So that even time off, even when we go on vacations, they're really just brief moments of pause so that we can work some more. It just becomes another form of optimization. And then you throw in the gig economy. Everybody has a side hustle. You throw in social media. Everyone seems to be doing okay. And then it becomes this volatile mix. It becomes this prescription for disaster. And in the article, Ann Peterson makes the case that all of this, all of this falls especially hard on working mothers. Studies show that uh, mothers in the workplace spend just as much time taking care of their children as stay-at-home mothers did in 1975. That's mind-boggling to me. And it's not just, you know, household chores like laundry or cooking, but it's what a comic in 2017 that also went viral, what she calls the mental load. What's the mental load? Well, if you uh, watch the comic, if you, I mean, read the comic, it's the story of this wife, this mother, who is just overwhelmed. She's harried, she's beleaguered, and, and there's chaos. And then her husband says, you should have asked. And of course, implicit in that question is this assumption that she is the manager of the household and it's her job to delegate, to you know, distribute the tasks, which we all know, of course, that being a manager is a job unto itself. And so on top of childcare, on top of her workplace job, she has that as well. And the result of all of this, the result of all of this is extreme severe exhaustion and burnout. Burnout so deep, so deep, that even when you go on extended vacation, it doesn't even begin to make a dent. I like the way Ann Peterson puts it. She says that burnout is no longer a place that we temporarily visit and then come back from. It is now our permanent residence. So that it's not just that we're exhausted, but we have this debilitating fatigue, this ever-present weariness that never leaves us. And then we come home, and then what do we do? She says, we crash on the couch. We veg out in front of TV. 
we numb ourselves with entertainment. We self-medicate with porn and video games. We mindlessly scroll through social media feeds. We binge watch Netflix until 2 a.m. in the morning. And none of that is rest, right? Nobody says after that, ah, I feel so restored. I can't wait to get back to work the next morning. And then life becomes joyless. We've lost our ability to feel pleasure and delight. We are alive, but we're not really living. And as I said, this article went viral. And it was written a year before the pandemic. But I suspect it is even more resonant now. It is the situation is even worse now because all of that time that we now save from not going on our commutes, what do we use that for? I've spoken to so many of you. You know what we use that time for? To work some more. And so what, what are we to do? Let me propose the radical solution of the Sabbath. We need to integrate into our lives a full day a full day where we unplug, where we turn off our phones and we just rest. And this needs to happen not just once in a while. It needs to happen weekly. It needs to be a rhythm of rest and replenishment. And let me tell you why we need this. Because if you go back to the creation account, there's something very profound there. The story tells us that God labors for six days and then on the seventh day, he rests. Think about that. God rested on the seventh day. God, the source of all being, what does that tell us? It tells us that woven into the very fabric of the universe is this pattern of six days of work one day of rest. And therefore, if you violate it, you're not just breaking a religious rule. You are going against the structure of reality. The Bible tells us that human beings, human beings, we were designed for a seven-day rhythm of work and rest. It's interesting to me that every culture in the world independent of the Bible, has discovered the seven-day week. The only culture in human history that has tried to monkey around with this was during the French Revolution in the late 18th century, and they instituted a 10-day week, which they thought was more scientific, more rational. They called it the decimal week, and they thought that productivity would rise. But do you know what happened? Productivity plummeted. There was a mental health crisis. People were committing suicide. People were getting sick. And it lasted, this social experiment, for 18 months. And then they abandoned it because society was falling apart. Or consider this. Longevity researchers have discovered uh, what they call blue zones. Blue zones are regions around the world, communities around the world, where people live unusually long. And the only blue zone that is in the United States is a Seventh-day Adventist community in Loma Linda, California, near L.A. And researchers have discovered that this Seventh-day Adventist community, if you uh, know anything about them, they are 
super serious, okay? They are extremely strict about keeping the Sabbath. This is why it's in their name, okay? They are Seventh-day Adventists. And researchers have discovered that they live, on average, 11 years longer than the typical American. And one researcher noted that if you add up all the Sabbaths in a lifetime, do you know what it equals? 11 years. It's as if every time you keep Sabbath, you get that day back with a longer life and with good health. Why would you not want to practice this? Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 said this, The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. In the first century, that second part was a rebuke to the Pharisees. But in the 21st century, it's the first part that is a rebuke to our culture. Jesus was telling us human beings were built for the Sabbath. And therefore, if you fight it, you're fighting God. And if you fight God, you are fighting our design. God created us. I think he knows what we need. There's all kinds of studies that show that nonstop work does not increase output, it decreases it. There are cognitive effects of constantly working. Your mind becomes unfocused, creativity drops, you become emotionally unhealthy, irritable, depressed, you develop this hair trigger anger, your bodies begin to break down, your immune system weakens, you become sick much more often. There's a lot of evidence that many of the maladies of modern workers, back pain, heart disease, chronic pain, comes largely from overwork. It's like our bodies are trying to tell us something. I like the way John Mark Comer, who wrote a chapter on the Sabbath in that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I love the way he puts it. He says, we only really have two choices. You can either take the Sabbath voluntarily, one week at a time, with joy and gratitude, or you can take the Sabbath involuntarily, all at once as you're convalescing in bed. Because you cannot violate the Sabbath. It is the law of God. You could only resist it for a while until finally it breaks you. And then why would you want to resist it? Because hear me now, the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift. It's a day to be renewed and restored. It's a day to slow down, to enjoy margin, to experience quiet and solitude. It's a day to cultivate deep relationships. One of the favorite things that Christina and I love to do is we like to go out to lunch with people in the church after a church service, outdoors, you know, sitting socially distant. It's a day to cultivate contentment and gratitude. It's a day to gain clarity about what really matters in this life. And... It is a day of freedom. Freedom from noise and hurry. Freedom from consumerism and workaholism. You know, it's very significant that in the commandment, 
slavery in Egypt is mentioned. Did you notice that? Look again to verse 15. It says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. That's the reason. So what does Egypt have to do with keeping Sabbath? Listen, Egypt was an empire built on the exploitation of slaves. And a slave doesn't get to rest. A slave has to work all the time, backbreaking labor, until they die. I love the way Walter Brueggemann puts it. He says, therefore, keeping Sabbath is a revolutionary act. It is a declaration that you are not a slave, that you are not a cog in the machine. It is a way to resist this economic system built on the exploitation of labor predicated on limitless consumption. My dear friends, Egypt is not dead. It is alive and well today. And in the Bay Area, we live in Egypt 2.0. Except in the old Egypt, slavery was involuntary and it was forced upon the people. But in the new Egypt, the slaves don't even know that they're slaves. It is a self-imposed condition. And then they hand us electronic devices so that work can follow us wherever we go. It's like this dystopian vision, right? It's like an episode from the Black Mirror. Listen to me. The Sabbath is for our freedom and for our flourishing. It is this life-giving practice to break us free from our addiction to the twin gods of our age, which is accumulation and accomplishment. So that's the first point. What is the Sabbath? It is a day to stop. It is a day to get off the hamster wheel and to embrace our God-given and natural limits. Secondly, Sabbath is for worship. So as I said, this English word rest does not capture the fullness of meaning that it has in the Bible. Because rest doesn't just mean inactivity. It isn't just, you know, cessation of work, but it means spiritual renewal. It means wholeness and connection to God. Because notice in verse 14, it says the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. So the Sabbath is not just for man, but it is something that you do unto God. That is really profound. Almost at the same time the BuzzFeed article came out, there was an article on The Atlantic by Derek Thompson called Workism is Making Americans Miserable. And he makes pretty much the same points about um, burnout, about the unsustainability of modern work. But he adds this deeper analysis and he asks, you know, why is it that we're just killing ourselves with work? And his answer, listen to this, is because for many people, work is a religious identity. He says that, you know, it used to be when we were living in the agrarian age, your job, your work was whatever your parents did. If your dad was a carpenter, 
you became a carpenter. It was really simple, not complex at all. But we no longer live in that world, that world where work was inherited. But now we live in a world where work is chosen. Everyone gets to choose their profession. Now, on the one hand, there's something really good about that, right? Nobody is stuck in a job that they're not suited for. Everyone is free to explore their gifts and their calling. But, Derek Thompson says, with that choice comes deep anxiety. Because now the pressure is on. Because listen to me. If work is chosen, then it becomes a reflection of your identity. And then do you see what that does? If work is not just how you make a living, but if work is how you find meaning in life, then we are setting ourselves up for deep disappointment and disillusionment because work can't give us those things. And Derek Thompson says, this is why we are so miserable in our jobs. This is why we're so angry and bitter at work because this cosmic disappointment of work is soul-destroying. A few days after he wrote the article, Derek Thompson, he gave an interview to Ezra Klein. And uh, it was a remarkable podcast episode. And in the episode, Derek Thompson said, listen, I am a secular Jew. I don't believe in God. I think religion is an artifact. He says, but in researching and working on this article, he says he has never come closer to wanting a religion. He says, because in religion, you have grace, you have mercy. But he says, work is a terrible and ruthless God. And therefore, do you not see that the Sabbath is not just about work, it is about God. In verse 12, it's very significant that the Sabbath is called holy. If you go back to the Genesis account, this is the first time this word holy appears in the Bible. And it is used to describe not some sacred object, not some, you know, uh, sacred site or physical space the way most ancient people understood it. But for the Jewish people, it was time that was holy. It was a day that was holy. Holy means to be set apart, to be devoted to God. So what does it mean that the Sabbath is holy? I like the way Abraham Heschel puts it. He says, listen to this. The Sabbath is a cathedral in time. So that God is not so much found in some holy building or upon holy land that you have to go and make a pilgrimage to, but he is found in holy time. So that one day a week, if you keep it, you could enter this temple of time and you can meet God and enjoy his presence. And therefore, the Sabbath is not just a day off, which is the way a lot of people treat it, right? People use the Sabbath uh, Sunday as to basically run errands, to catch up around the house or the apartment, do some shopping, some recreation. A lot of people use Sunday as a day to watch sports. And listen to me, there is nothing wrong with the day off. We all need days off. But the Sabbath is so much more than that. It is not just a day for me time. 
but it is a day of worship. It is a day to connect our souls to God. So what does that practically mean? What does that concretely look like? The first and most foundational thing is that it means Sunday worship attendance. You know, it used to be that Sunday attendance was just the default if you were a Christian. It was just assumed and only some unusual circumstance could dislodge those plans. But now it's very typical for American Christians to attend only half of the Sundays, sometimes one Sunday a month, so that people, you know, all the time, a lot of times they wake up and they say, uh, I'm not feeling like going to church today. And they use the day to catch up on work or to do errands. And let me be very clear here. I, I do not want to mince my words. Do you know what you are doing? You are profaning the Lord's day. This is what the prophet Isaiah, and we looked at this passage in the uh, call to worship in Isaiah 58, This is what Isaiah was railing against. So it's Sunday morning worship, but the Sabbath is not just Sunday morning attendance, but the whole day. The whole day should have a special quality. It should be set apart for the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that you're singing praise songs all day day long. You're reading the Bible all day long. There are two ways to abuse the Sabbath. You can abuse the Sabbath through neglect, and you can abuse the Sabbath uh, through um, legalism. And in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they loaded up the Sabbath with all kinds of difficult, difficult rules so that it became a burden upon the people. And, you know, we look at that, we say, oh, you know, we don't want to do that. But listen to me, okay? We have overreacted. We have overcorrected. And right now, legalism on the Sabbath is nowhere close to the problem neglect is. And listen to me. You know, for most Christians, apart from Sunday morning worship, the rest of our day pretty much looks like what our pagan neighbors do. And that should not be. I really like the way uh, Nancy Guthrie puts it. Nancy Guthrie, um, she has a book called Even Better Than Eden. I've mentioned this before. It is a fantastic book, excellent book. She has a chapter on the Sabbath. And in in that chapter, she says that, you know, people complain all the time. I never have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to read Christian books. She says, well, God has given us a whole day. (laughs) A whole day. Why not commit one hour? just one hour to doing spiritual reading? Or why not spend that time developing rich friendships and relationships? I really encourage you, go out to lunch with people in the church. You know, develop Christian community in this way. Or take a walk in nature with your family. Have spiritual conversations. Listen to me. There are no hard and fast rules. I don't want to be legalistic about this, okay? But do those activities that restore your soul, that connect you to God. That's how you keep the Sabbath. Some of you are saying, this sounds like a lot of work. And that's true. 
The irony is that it takes work to rest well. Because there's a discipline to keeping the Sabbath. Hebrews 4.11, listen to this. Make every effort to enter that rest. So the Sabbath takes preparation. It takes planning. It requires self-control. You have to be able to say no to so many good things, things that are fine, things that are ordinarily okay, nothing wrong with that, but they crowd out other things. So you have to be able to say no to all these good things so that you can say a big yes to resting in God. And therefore, it takes intentionality. The Sabbath doesn't just happen to you. You cannot work yourself to death all week long and then drag your body half dead into the Sabbath and think that you're honoring God. You are not. And therefore, like all of the spiritual disciplines, and this is a theme that I've been trying to pound home all through this series, keeping Sabbath takes practice. You're not going to be good at it at first, okay? It requires perseverance. It requires slow and steady, small improvements over a long, long period of time before you can begin to enjoy the benefits of this spiritual discipline. And for some of you, I know, keeping Sabbath is so foreign to you. Let me suggest that you start with half a day. Half a day. Let your Sabbath begin Sunday morning, and actually it should begin Sunday night. I'm sorry, Saturday night, okay? Because you should go to bed on time. You should get enough rest. And then you could end your Sabbath at 2 p.m. Everyone can do that. And then the next week, extend your Sabbath to 2.30 p.m. And then the next week, extend it to 3 p.m. And keep going, gradually increase until... You can dedicate a whole day, because that's what we need, a whole day to rest and to worship. Some of you are saying, well, what if you are the parent of young children? There's no Sabbath from childcare, <laughs> And that's true. So let me give you two words of advice. The first practical advice is, if you are in a two-parent household, and I know that's not the case for everyone, but if you're in a two-parent household, Take turns giving each other breaks. You know, do two, three-hour shifts. Or, all together as a family, you know, go to the park. I know that's not truly restful, but this is the season in life that you're in. and Make the best of it. But my second word of advice, and and please hear me, because this is really important. You can set the day apart. You can set the day apart by giving spiritual instruction to your children. Sing praise songs with them. Read them the Bible. Read them a children's Bible. Because you're not just keeping Sabbath for yourself. You are keeping Sabbath for your children. You are setting before them an example. Do you understand how much influence and impact you have on your, your children's spiritual lives? You can give them this lifelong habit, this gift, of keeping Sabbath. Finally, let me close with this last thought. 
John Mark Comer in his chapter on the Sabbath. He says, you know, it's a really strange thing that God has to command the Sabbath. He says it's like commanding ice cream or it's like commanding a day at the beach or listening to live music. It's 24 hours to fill your soul with deep throbbing joy. It's an entire day dedicated to wonder and gratitude and delight. What is so wrong with us that we so hate this day? What is so wrong with us that we are so addicted to overwork and burnout and exhaustion? It's like we're saying, I don't want to eat ice cream. I would like a plate full of vomit. I would like to eat feces. When you read the gospel accounts, you notice that Jesus healed on the Sabbath more than any other day of the week. It's as if Jesus' ministry of healing and mercy came to a climax, this crescendo on this one day. And if you know the Gospels, it produced enormous conflict with the religious leaders. You know, second only to his claim to be the Messiah, it produced enormous controversy, and the religious leaders hated Jesus for this. And it's interesting that Jesus responded not by arguing the minute details of Torah law. He did that to some degree. But ultimately, he declares, his final argument is, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, again in Mark 2, 28, and then in Luke 6, 5. This is such a significant moment in the story. It is recorded three times. What is this telling us? You see, the Sabbath was never an end to itself. It's not just a day of rest from work. It's not even just a day of worship. But if you read Hebrews chapter 4, it is a foretaste of heaven. It is a picture of our salvation. If you go back to the creation account, there's something rather curious that happens on the seventh day. All the other days of creation ends with this refrain, there was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, that refrain is missing. It's as if the day never ends. It's as if it's an eternal day. Because that day represents heaven. It represents a promise that one day we will have ultimate rest in God. That one day the ultimate rest giver will come. Here is the gospel. On the cross, Jesus Christ experienced the greatest restlessness that has ever been known. A restlessness that you and I deserve to endure forever and ever because we have sinned, because we have rebelled and disobeyed and turned away from God. But Jesus Christ the perfect God-man who perfectly obeyed the law, who kept the Sabbath perfectly. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was quoting the opening lines of Psalm 22. And I love what Nancy Guthrie, her insight here, she says that when he was quoting Psalm 22, he was saying the entire psalm, this whole psalm is happening right now. 
on the cross. Let me read to you the first two verses of Psalm 22. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse 2, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. On the cross, Jesus Christ experienced cosmic restlessness because he was cast from the presence of God. And then, on the cross, Jesus cried out his final words. It is finished. And he said those words in the waning hours of the sixth day, the final day of the work week. Because you see, the work was done. The true and ultimate Sabbath has finally come. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And when you believe in Him, when you trust Him, and when you follow Him, you will experience rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, listen to this, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Every week, when you keep the Sabbath day, you are resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And every day you continue to keep Sabbath. It is an ongoing command. You anticipate His return that one day he will come and renew the earth and he will make all things right. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, we are a restless generation. We are restless, not just because we're so overworked and burnt out from our jobs, but because we are looking for our identity and meaning in our jobs and not in you. Who will save us from our sins? Thank you for sending us a Savior. Lord, we forget how great a salvation we have in Jesus Christ. We treat it as a small, small thing. Open our eyes to the truth of Christ. Help us to keep the Sabbath. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.